What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast, episode 45 today. And we're recording this right after, well, the day after, Luca dropped his iconic 60-point, 21-rebound, 10-assist game. So I don't know that we're going to be talking about him in this episode. I don't think we are. Um, but shout out to him for that amazing performance, uh, historic night from him. And you know what? He did it against the Knicks, which makes it all the more sweeter. Uh, Luca Magic, we appreciate you. Uh, but without further ado, let me kick it over to Mike for off the top. While we're shouting out Luca, shout out to whatever the hell dance that was when you hit that buzzer beater before you or descended to overtime. Holy cow. That's what happens when Luca goes berserk, I guess. Sure. You do you. You know, if you're going to drop stat, a stat line like that, be my guest. Do whatever you want. I mean, you could argue it's not any sillier than any of these t- TikTok crazes. So, hey, I thought we were in firm agreement that we don't talk about TikTok. Only in disparaging terms. Oh, okay. Then be my guest. Yeah. We don't like TikTok. We're the. We're with the boomers on this one. Just, yeah. My uh, off-the-top prompt for this episode is actually not about Luca, because I was thinking about it before that happened. In fact, I was thinking about this, I guess it was like a week or so ago, when Matt Ryan blew that 33-point lead to your Vikings. Ha! So... Suck it! So Matt Ryan has now allowed the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history and in NFL history. And I I'll say one thing to his defense. He gets that like record question mark, I guess, cuz he was, you know, it was against his team both times. But let's be very clear, like it's not just Matt Ryan blowing that lead. Like the defense is letting in all those points. Uh when you're up 33-0 or 28-3, you should be running. Which, And if you can't maintain that, then your running back might not be killing it or your offensive line or bloody bloody blah So it's just, it's not all Matt Ryan. But also, bruh, you do have some control over that. He's also the one common denominator yeah. here. Uh, so, with that said, um, Matt Ryan is seventh in NFL history in career passing yards. And so I have a, I want, uh, I guess I'm just gauging how good you think Matt Ryan, not is, cause we know he's washed, but I guess like how good you see him like in your mind, like when you think about his career, I guess, um, is Matt Ryan a hall of famer? Oh, um, I think, well, he did win an MVP so that if he didn't, obviously he didn't have that season. I don't think there's any way you can put him in. However, he did. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see how the standards change for hall of fame, especially at the quarterback position because of the more pass happy NFL that we're in right now. Like 
even a guy like Kirk Cousins, you could argue, I mean, he hasn't had an MVP season, but by the time he's done, he's going to have, you know, more passing yards than a lot of these other Hall of Fame quarterbacks uh, in their day. And so it's going to be very interesting to see like where the line is drawn for greatness and who is a Hall of Fame player and who is maybe just a product of the era that they're playing in. I think he makes it, but I think it's it's pretty close, uh, to be honest. I think he had, I mean, he had a lot of good seasons. Um, it's easy to remember the the big chokes, I would say, but he was, he was very good for a long time. I will give him credit. I mean, I've never been a huge Matt Ryan supporter or huge Matt Ryan guy. Like even when he was doing so well for us, I thought it was Shanahan more than it was Matt Ryan. (laughs) Um, I, I still think that, but I think you have to give him some credit for the stats that he's put up for, in general, the Falcons being pretty good for a good amount of his career. Uh, and sure, he's come up short. He came up short in the Super Bowl. And yes, he was a victim of, you know, the biggest comeback in NFL history. But like, that's one game. I'm not going to, I don't think that you have to hold that against him when it comes to Hall of Fame candidacy. Like, there have, there have been so many quarterbacks or so many players that have had, you know, awful games or like some, you know, something bad happened in that game that maybe they were at some, you know, at some fault for, but in general, not really. So I don't know, probably a hall of famer, but like not a, not a sexy one, not like a automatic. Yes. He's, he goes in type of player in my opinion. Yeah. I think looking at, I mean, seven, for all the quarterbacks that have ever played, that's really high. I mean, like you said, it is a more pass-happy league than ever before. But if he plays next season, he'll pass Phillip Rivers, like, undoubtedly. Uh, Potentially Ben Roethlisberger as well. Probably Ben Roethlisberger as well. So he'd be at five at that point. And at that point, like, how do you not, really? There, there are also all those fourth quarter comebacks that he had. I mean, those were mostly earlier in his career. But like the Matty Ice thing didn't come out of nowhere. It didn't just show up because it sounded pretty. Like at a certain point, he did earn that. Whether or not he still deserves it is a is a different conversation. But he's also like thirty six years old now. You know, thirty seven. However old he is. Um, I guess while we're on this Matt Ryan Hall of Fame discussion, I, I guess I just want to take you through a couple of the na- some of the names below him on the career passing leaders. And I guess like in my mind, I was thinking like, you tell me who would you rather have between Matt Ryan and this guy? And I guess it's a little complicated because like some guys might have higher primes where and not like as consistent careers, but However, like, however you interpret that, like this or him thing, you don't have to give a huge explanation to it. It can be a just quick, quick and easy thing, but I want to hear from you, Matt Ryan or Matthew Stafford. 
Stafford won a ring. Yep. And Stafford's at 11. Uh, Matt Ryan, Carson Palmer at 15. Okay, Matt Ryan, that's very easy. <laughs> Matt Ryan, Drew Bledsoe at 17. Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco at 19. I mean, Flacco is like... Like he has a lot of similarities to Matt Ryan that they had that one amazing season and yet Flacco actually managed to win the Super Bowl. Uh, to be fair, that the rest of that team is way more stacked than the Falcons team was. <laughs> so it wasn't all him. But And then he never really was that great after that. I think body of work, Matt Ryan. But again, Flacco has the ring, so it's kind of tough. But yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be Ryan, I think. I, I got three more. Russell Wilson at 23. Uh, it's kind of hard to have recency bias here, but I mean, I'm probably going Russ. <laughs> yeah, Russell is, uh, this Denver experiment has not worked out so far, but yeah, Russell has the ring as well. Now, we're going in the opposite direction. We had Big Ben at five, right? Are we both going Ben there? I mean, probably. I mean, the Steelers never had a losing record with him. That, I mean, it's not just him, but like, he was so good there for so long. Immediately he leaves, the Steelers are going to have a losing record. Like, even when he wasn't that good and he was just still found ways to win games and the Steelers still found ways to win. So probably got to give it to Ben on that one i'm with you there and i saved this one for last because to me this was the most interesting right above him number six the first one he passed philip rivers they both went to the colts uh in the last two years both ringless both piling up a bunch of yards in their careers matt ryan that one mvp who do we end up with philip rivers or matt ryan who would you prefer Um, I don't think it makes too much of a difference <laughs> to be honest. Um, I mean, I always liked watching Phil Burvers play. I haven't always enjoyed watching Matt Ryan play, but that's probably due to some bias, um, and a little bit more stakes in it from that point of view. So, uh, I don't know. Do I have to pick one? Cause I, I really, I don't think it would make that much of a difference either way. Now, if you don't want to, you don't have to, I, I don't think it makes a huge difference either. I mean, I'd probably take Matt Ryan over Philip rivers. I think Philip rivers was a well, quicker to become a statue in the pocket. I mean, look at Matt Ryan has, has shown a little bit of mobility this year. Yeah. I'll give him some credit. He had that one like 30 something yard run or something. I was like, what? Yeah. Um, so I guess this question, like, are you just saying who's better over the course of their whole career? Or like, who would I take at like the peak of their powers type of thing? Is it, a, does that make the answer different for you for this one? Yeah, I think prime Matt Ryan is MVP season beats any season that Rivers had. 
but you take Philip Rivers' like whole body of work. Uh, that it basically just complicates the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what? I'm just gonna answer it like peak of their powers. I'll say Matt Ryan, and then I just won't answer <laughs> the other one. Hey, that's fair. That'll be my cop out. But yeah, I definitely want to talk about this though. I mean, a to mention that comeback, and b like we've talked a lot about Matt Ryan at varying points of this podcast. We've also talked about Hall of Fame in some capacity a few times. I kind of wanted to marry the few together. But cool. Well, thank you for giving us your uh, input on all those Matt Ryan or blanks. I know Matt Ryan's not always the best option given he hasn't won a championship. But hey, we we said our goodbye to him in that whatever episode that was. Yeah, and you know what? That ended up being a pretty good trade because <laughs> he was trash this year. True. But that is all I have for the off the top this week. When we come back, we're going to get into football at a different level and talk about the college football playoffs. So stick around. All right, folks, we're back. And it's about that time of year again. New Year's Eve is tomorrow when you're listening to this, probably. And We've got some very, very interesting matchups on tap with TCU Michigan at 4 o'clock and Ohio State Georgia at 8 o'clock. I, well, number one, I'm intrigued to hear your take on this game as a Michigan fan, but also as a somewhat neutral in this, I just, I'm really excited to watch these two teams play, uh, given neither of them have lost, of course, and, um, the, the nature of how their seasons have unfolded has been very interesting. So I'm, I'm curious to see what you have to say on this matchup as a Michigan fan. And also if you can, um, what you think like objectively speaking will happen. So I guess elephant in the room, it's tough that Blake Corum is not going to be able to play in this game or the championship should we get to that level uh donovan edwards is still a phenomenal running back uh let's not forget that he's a five-star running back uh or that he was a five-star running back coming out of high school i think the reality is he would start at the vast majority of colleges so it's not like we're starting a backup in the traditional sense or like as you typically think about that more like we're starting a different starting caliber running back the problem for michigan is that donovan edwards is a little more boomer bust than blake quorum blake quorum it was like you're pretty much guaranteed four or five he's not going to break off any, that many huge runs but he's going to keep you on schedule donovan edwards you get more like one or two yard runs than you get out of quorum you also get more like 15, 20 yard runs out of them. So we get a little less predictable, like in the way that's good for Michigan predictable, um, AKA less consistent. Um, that said, how much of our run game was predicated upon quorum versus our offensive line who shout out 
have won the Joe Moore Award for the second straight year. So shout out Ryan Hayes, Trevor Keegan, Olu, Oluwatimi, Zach Zinner, and Trente Jones because they've been balling all freaking year. Truth be told, I don't think Corum's like the absence of Corum is going to hurt too too much, and it's because our offensive line is top tier. We wear teams down. That's how we win. Uh, we're my prediction is that we won't look that that great in the first half, and then as we've done like five, six different times this season, just kind of wear them down, you know, chip away. That's really what we need to do. Uh, TCU certainly has all the potential to beat us. You know, Max Duggan's no joke. Uh, Quentin Johnson uh, is a baller. I think TCU has enough like explosive capability on offense that they could like certainly put up points on our defense. And if they do that early on, then we could be in trouble because you and I have said all year, Michigan is not a team that's built to come back. Um, If they like, I'm looking at like when Michigan played Illinois or like Purdue and we're losing at halftime by like three or six or whatever, that's manageable, but we can't, let them explode in the first half, be down 17 going into halftime and be trying to like climb up that hill. That's just not going to work out that well. Um, I think Michigan can run on TCU's defense. The The X factor to me in this game is can, T, uh, can Michigan's defense slow down TCU's passing game? Yeah, so first of all, I think the big thing here is that Michigan's offense, TCU's offense, I don't see a whole lot of difference uh, with those. I mean, TCU does a little bit more with the passing game, Michigan more with the running game. But in terms of uh, total yards, TCU is at 473 yards per game. Michigan's at 453. So it's pretty comparable there. Really, it comes down to Michigan's defense versus TCU's defense in this game. TCU allowing almost 150 rushing yards per game. You bring in a Michigan team with Donovan Edwards with that offensive line. Hmm, I wonder what the game plan is going to be. Like Michigan should be able to to run the ball and control the the clock and control the game. And like we saw against Ohio State, they have the capability of scoring fast if they need to, if they get the right matchups that they like, TCU has got to try and uh, do a, a good job on their end of trying to establish some tempo as well, uh, because Michigan's going to be really hard to stop, and that run game is going to be really hard to stop, and that's going to be the big difference to me. Um, ESPN is giving Michigan a sixty-seven percent chance to win. I think that's probably fair, to be honest. Um, TCU, like, we got to give them some credit. They've won every single game this year, even if it looks like they really weren't going to. They managed to pull it out, and they, well, we'll see if their magic has run out or if they can uh, extend it for at least one more game. But really, I think Michigan, they they're still stung from that loss to Georgia last year, and they're going to be chomping at the bit to beat TCU. I don't think they're looking past TCU at all. 
because they know what can happen um, in the semifinal. So I think they really want that matchup against Georgia, but they're going to come out against TCU and make sure that they make a statement. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to this game for sure. Um, Mike, I, we normally don't do this, but I'm I'm curious. Let's get a score prediction from you for this TCU-Michigan game. Yeah, uh, we don't normally do this, but <clears throat> I would not be surprised if TCU is ahead at the half, like I was saying. Um, but for all the, I guess, caution that I was putting out there uh, a minute ago, I think Michigan showed against Ohio State especially that like we can play defense at at a, I mean, we've been playing defense at a high level all year, but I mean, especially against high-powered offenses. Um, I say TCU's ahead of us, let's say, 17-14 to 14 at the end of the first half, but I think we run away with it. We end up somewhere around 42 points at the end of the game to their 27. So 42-27, that's going to be my score prediction. Okay. So the spread is seven and a half. So you're basically saying they're going to double that. Um, so I, okay. I will take the over. So, yeah. Um, all right. Then I'm going to go for a little bit of a tighter game. I think I'm going to go. Mm, I'm going to go 38, 31. That's what I'm going to go with. So, so a touchdown. Um, I think it will be close, but Michigan will end up being able to kind of put the game away in the second half with their run game. So that's our preview of the first semifinal. Now, I am very, very intrigued by this next matchup. I think UGA really did not want Ohio State. I think UGA wanted TCU, and they got Ohio State, and... This could be tricky for the dogs. I mean, don't get me wrong. Georgia has been the best team in the country all year, I think. It's really between them and Michigan. But Georgia has uh, answered every question that's been asked of them. But this Ohio State team, when you've got C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison, like that combination has been deadly this year and one matchup to watch Marvin Harrison versus Keely Ringo uh, for Georgia Ringo looking obviously like he made a the biggest play in the national championship game for Georgia last season this year he hasn't been quite as good in my opinion I think he's a little bit overrated he's being talked up as a uh, almost surefire first round pick but Marvin Harrison is almost undoubtedly been the best receiver in college football this season, or if, if not the best then top two or three for sure. So can Ringo slow down Marvin Harrison? I, if the answer is yes, then Ohio state does not have a chance in this game. They really don't um, because they're not really going to be able to run the football. Georgia, they're allowing like 77, yeah, 77 rushing yards per game. And in college football, that is like, Nothing. Not to mention that Ohio State's had some injury at or injuries at running back. 
I can't imagine that they're going to be able to do too much on the ground. So it really is going to be Marvin Harrison. Can they get him um, in one-on-one matchups? And when they do, can they capitalize on that? Um, And can he make some plays? Otherwise, I, I don't know. I mean, the last time we saw Ohio State, they were getting trounced by Michigan. Are they going to be able to come back and uh, like make a better impression at least? Um, CJ Stroud's coming out and saying like, oh, well, you know, what else do we have to lose? Whatever. Because um, they, they probably thought that their, their season might have been over when they lost to Michigan, but it obviously wasn't. So I don't know. They, they might be able to play loose Georgia. They, I'm sure they really want to go back to back so bad. And they feel like, especially with Alabama out of the picture, this is a really, really golden opportunity for that. Uh, so I don't know. It should be an interesting game. I'm sure. I think Georgia's probably going to, going to win more comfortably than uh, Michigan's going to win over TCU. But I don't know. Ohio state, like they've got a lot of star players that can make the difference. I feel like this game could just go any number of directions. Like Michigan TCU, like sure, like Michigan could win by twenty, but like it's not going to be like I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't consider twenty like a real blowout necessarily. Um, I think blowout like twenty five plus. I don't think TCU is getting blown out. Ohio State could get like obliterated, like beyond recognition georgia could win this game like 50 to 7 i think it's possible right ohio state could also mess around and win this game uh this is like in that way it's more interesting to me uh and the reason for that is ohio state has definitely has huge play capability because of marvin harrison jr yeah i'd call him the best receiver in college football shoot uh plus you have cj stroud like you said who's like how many players in college football are more like X factor esque than CJ Stroud. He can make magic happen. The, my problem is that the last time I saw Ohio state, they uh, looked very unconvincing. They, they didn't really have like, they weren't really, they didn't seem prepared for things to go wrong. Uh, my impression of them against Michigan was, Oh, we have a plan. We're going to like look for Marvin Harrison Jr. He's going to exploit mismatches. That'll like set up the run game, blah, blah, blah. It didn't work. And they had no direction after that. They looked defeated at halftime. They, they got worn down. They were out physical. They couldn't establish anything at the line of scrimmage, really. Uh, CJ Stroud was frazzled. Their play calling was atrocious. I don't, I just don't think they're ready for this. Like they have talent. Yeah. I, no, I, I, I don't want to write them off, but I think, it, but I'm going to basically is where this sentence is headed. Like, I'm not saying it's impossible. What's the what's the over under on this game, Dave? It's not probable, but it is possible. Um, so Georgia, so the spread's actually less than it is for the TCU Michigan game. <laughs> it's at six, it's at six and a half. 
for Georgia to win. The over-under is 62. Now, I'm not condoning gambling. But were you to be considering placing assets on this game? Your boy Mike is here to tell you to take the over on that all day. <laughs> George is going to win by double digits. I'm I'm marking that. I mean, even by a touchdown would cover yeah. the spread. So that's yeah, honestly, pretty interesting. Um, I think people are just like because Ohio State is one of the traditional powers. They're looking more at that versus what they've. What, you know what they looked like against Michigan, but um, I know you said you would take the over score prediction from you. Since they're playing Ohio State, I'm going to say Georgia sixty three to nothing. Uh, no, um, Georgia's putting at least forty on them. Um, maybe forty eight. Yeah. So uh, six touchdowns, two field. Yeah, we'll go Georgia forty-eight, Ohio State They don't like to kick that much. Fourteen. Forty-eight fourteen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I gotta let it fly. I respect it. Why not? There's definitely no bias there whatsoever. Um I'm gonna go for a little bit more of a moderate score line. Uh, I'm going to say Georgia. I don't know if they're going to put up a ton of points. Um, I'm going to go 38, 21. So what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to go. Um, I think Marvin Harrison makes a couple of plays for Ohio state, but Georgia's just too good, too physical. And eventually, you know, Kind of like Michigan wears him down. You know what, Stetson Bennett? I'm going to say Stetson Bennett, two rushing touchdowns, um, and Brock Bowers, two more touchdowns. That that guy is potentially my favorite player in college football to watch. Though. Brock Bowers. Brock is that Bowers guy. is just like I don't I don't know what it is about watching him run, but it just brings me joy. Uh, <laughs> a man that large running that fisk that that quickly. Um, I don't know. There's, it just stirs something within me anyways. Um, moving on. So I think we're, we're both saying it's going to be Georgia, Michigan in the championship game. So if that's the case, let me just do a quick check of this. Yeah. So the next podcast that comes out will be January 13th. The national championships on January 9th. So we're going to go ahead and give our score predictions for uh, the championship game and just do a little bit of a rundown. So like I said, Georgia and Michigan, dominant offensive lines, dominant run games. Here's the thing though. Here's the matchup that I really am interested in. Michigan's offensive line versus Georgia's defensive line. Those are some of the most talented players in the country going at it right there. Olu Oluwatemi versus Jalen Carter. That's a matchup that I can't wait to watch. Um, and then, of course, Jim Harbaugh versus Kirby Smart. These are two of the the bigger head coaches in college football as well. Um, 
Kirby Smart, like, showed that he could do it last year. He's trying to be like his former boss, Nick Saban. He's trying to go out here and make Georgia into a dynasty, use all of the the tricks and tools that he learned from uh, from Nick Saban, put his own spin on it, and then make Georgia into a dynasty. And, you know, back-to-back championships would go a long way to making that happen. Meanwhile, Jim Harbaugh, he was almost out the door a couple years ago. And look at him now. Can he finally silence all the haters and bring one back for his alma mater? It's very, like, the storylines would be very, very intriguing for this one. Um, A lot of star players, a lot of, you know, draft prospects um, on watch. I don't know. Mike, I, I, I know Michigan, Georgia, like, you have obviously been a Michigan fan your whole life. You have also hated Georgia, or at least disliked Georgia, for, I would say, probably the majority of your life. So I think it's pretty clear who you want to win and who you would potentially pick in this one. But I still got to ask you, who do you think comes out on top and why? Holy cow, man. Uh well, Georgia beat us last year 34-11. to 11. And I have a couple thoughts just, like, I guess coming off of that. Um, one, Georgia, they're still great. I'm not shading them. Georgia seems a little less scary than last year. Still great. I have been calling them the best team in the country all year. But they scare me a little bit less. Michigan... I think it's better than last year. Um, actually, why'd I say it like that? Michigan is better than last year. No, I thinks about it. They are. What's weird is like we lose significant playmakers on defense, so you wouldn't expect us to be better. But statistically, like in virtually every defensive category, we are still better, even sacks without Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson. So that's interesting uh with jj mccarthy as our quarterback instead of cade mcnamara we have the capacity to like hit a a higher level in any given game because of what he can do on the ground i don't know cade mcnamara is pretty excited to go to iowa apparently don't don't get me started that one's just weird (laughs) (laughs) but whatever um our offensive line like last year I would have thought like, oh, there's no way our offensive line can play better than this. And we are now. Uh, and it's because of the transfer of Olu Oluwatimi, who was like, I think, second team All-American uh, last year at Virginia, uh, if not first. And now he's uh, at center for us. And he's just done a phenomenal job all season. And the way we're beating teams last year, we had a great season. But the way we beat teams last year was very, like, it varied a bit. How about that? There were some games where we were, like, in control the entire time. There were some games where we, uh, where Cade McNamara would have a good game. There were some games, you know, so on and so forth. This year, it's like every single game we win almost the same way. Uh, The Ohio State game is a little different, but still, we wear teams down. We out-physical everyone in front of us. So I'm looking at our offensive line where that starts being better than last year and having succeeded every single week this year against Georgia, who is good, but 
not as terrifying as last year. Um, and and I will say, like last year, you know, it, if you listen to this podcast, you know how unconvinced I was that we were going to beat Ohio State last year. I think the players felt that. You know, I think the playoffs last year were just gravy. You know, oh, we beat Ohio State. Now let's, I guess, see what we can do. This year, it's like we expected to beat Ohio State. We expected a rematch with Georgia. We're gunning for them. Like, everything about this feels different than last year. And last year, Dave, I said to you, like, I'd like a championship, but frankly, I'm just happy to beat Ohio State. This year, it feels like we have a, a real shot. You know, last year, I didn't think we could beat Georgia. I do this year. Um, should we be the favorite? No, no, we shouldn't be the favorite against them, but I think it's doable. And because I'm a Michigan fan, I'm going to guess that we will, uh, by like four ish, because it's going to come down to some drive. where like, Oh, don't tell me George is going to run down the field and do it to us. Like, it's, it'll be a close game, single digits for sure, but I think Michigan can actually pull this one out. Wow. Some optimism about Michigan from Mike. Things you don't hear every day. It only took me an undefeated season so far to get to this point. Yeah, honestly. Uh, they haven't even beaten TCU yet. Uh, but to be fair... What you said about Cade McNamara versus J.J. McCarthy. the I think, honestly, McCarthy is probably the biggest X, like, X factor for Michigan um, in both of these games. And the reason for that is he's turned it on the past couple games. Um, he was very, very good against Ohio State. Very, very good against Purdue seems to be finally reaching his stride and building in confidence and like, yep, I'm the guy now I can do this, which to be fair, took time over the course of the season. Um, especially because he wasn't even, he didn't even start the first game of the season. Um, so what, what a rise he's had, um, even getting a DM from a certain Tom Brady as well, congratulating him and wishing him good luck for the rest of the season. Um, that's gotta be, that's gotta feel good. So honestly, I think if he can play well and play as well as he's um, done in the last couple of games, then Michigan has a, a good shot of winning. Because uh, Mich- like what I'll say is Michigan doesn't have any one big standout uh, receiver or tight end. Like Ronnie Bell is probably the most significant, but even him, ever since that injury, it just kind of seems like he's hasn't been quite the same player. But when it comes down to it, McCarthy's been able to make plays um, and throw guys open, take the yards on the ground when necessary. And against Georgia, protecting the football is going to be paramount. You cannot let them force turnovers and get easy scores. You cannot let that happen. And McCarthy's only thrown three interceptions this year, and he's been doing a good job protecting the football the past few weeks. So if he plays up to his potential, I think Michigan has a chance. However... Georgia, I agree. I don't think Georgia is, is as good as they were last year. I think Michigan is better than they were last year. However, Georgia has done it. Georgia knows what it takes to win. And 
they still have the same quarterback. They still have the same, uh, you know, tight end who's probably their best offensive player. Um, and defensively, they still have some big playmakers. Not They lost a lot of guys, but really, you wouldn't really be able to tell if you just looked at the numbers um, from last year to this year. Like, yes, last year's defense was probably one of the all-time great college f- football defenses. Um, this year, you can't say that necessarily, but still very, very good. Arguably the best defense in the country. And so you look at it and you think, you know, Kirby Smart and his team, like they won it last year. They brought a lot of the same guys back. They still haven't, they haven't lost a game in freaking who knows how long. Um, and it's hard to pick against them. It really is. Um, it's also tough because, you know, my fiance is a Georgia fan. She went to Georgia best friend slash podcast or, you know, co-host of this podcast is a Michigan fan. So it is kind of a tough one, uh, you know, as far as like bias or like who I want to win. So I'm not going to address that. I'm just going to be, well, a coward. Uh, but also I'm going to try to be um, as objective as I can be and say, I think Georgia sneaks it out again. And I think it's probably by, I'll say 10 points i think michigan try potentially tries to start forcing it um and that they're behind they have to start forcing throws um and get out of their game plan a bit and maybe a a mistake or two here or there kind of cost them the game and georgia capitalizes that's my objective opinion um low-key i want michigan to win so michael finally has uh one of his teams win the championship (laughs) Um, you know, Florida state won it for me almost 10 years ago now. Um, so it would be nice for, for you to have one of them as well. But if I'm just trying to be objective here and just look at it from a football perspective, I see Georgia pulling it out. Yeah. So if you're listening to this on, on Friday, the 30th game, start with Michigan TCU at four o'clock and then, uh, Georgia, Ohio state will be at eight o'clock. And then I guess. This shouldn't be a big surprise, but our next episode, episode 46, will absolutely be covering what happened, since that'll be, like I guess, the week after the national championship. So, or it'll, that week. I think it'll be that, that week. Yeah, it'll be that same week. So we'll probably record the day after, or potentially, depending on what happens, we might give it an extra day <laughs> for, for you to emotionally recover. Um <laughs> Or physically recover if Michigan wins. If, if Michigan wins, we're gonna record that that night. I'm just like, I'm still screaming. But, but anyway, believe it or not, even though that sounded like an outro, the show's not over, folks. We got one more. We got a couple more segments for you. When we come back, we're gonna do a top five. We're going to give you our top five shooting guards in NBA history. So stick around for that. So it's time for our top five shooting guards in NBA history. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that this is a mini series that we've been doing for the past. I guess this would be the fourth straight top five that we've done this. And so the next time we do a top five, we'll do the point guards. But I have an announcement 
before we really get into the list. Before this episode, or before the recording of this episode, Dave and I were talking, and we've made an executive decision for this podcast, or for this episode, rather. And we want your feedback after you listen to it on our social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Mike and Dave Pod, on how you feel about this decision. But we decided, at least for this top five, it makes a little more sense to start at number one and work our way down, rather than start at five and work our way up. So the reason for that is, and this really should not come as a shock to any of you listening, we all knew that number one was going to be Michael Jordan. So there's no like drama or no like anticipation of like, if we start at five, all right, well, we already know who number one's going to be. And we probably know who number two is going to be. So it kind of doesn't like lend itself to any sort of like countdown. Um, where you're wondering who's coming next. Whereas if we start at number one with MJ, as we go down the list, we'll be like, all right, who's going to miss out on the top five. So that's why we're doing it this way. And like I just said, number one is Michael Jordan. Of course, the greatest basketball player of all time. Not a whole lot needs to be said about this. I mean, like he he's the best. He's the GOAT, Uh, six-time NBA champion, never lost a finals, also won the finals MVP every single one of those, five-time MVP, 14-time All-Star, Defensive Player of the Year, nine-time All-Defensive First Team recipient, Rookie of the Year, obviously, 10-time NBA scoring champion, averaged over 30 points a game, six rebounds, five assists, all of that. And and he retired at the peak of his powers. So that could have potentially been even more than what he accomplished. However, what he did accomplish during his career, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like it again um, in terms of the success in the playoffs, the sheer dominance um, that he had over the league, the competition that he faced that proved no match for him. Um, I mean, a cultural icon, like people wear Jordans. They don't, I mean, sure. Some of, some people wear LeBron's or some people might wear Kobe's or whatever, but like people wear Jordans like that is, um, just himself being how great that like being how good that he was. I don't think that you can really say that about even LeBron, like I know that that debate goes back and forth of some, you know, for maybe this generation, LeBron's the goat, but for older guys or whatever, like Jordan is, but I just look at the, the sheer uh, dominance that he had six and zero in the finals and um, the legacy that he left and how he kind of just changed basketball forever because nobody had ever seen a, someone come in and um, impose his will like like Jordan did. So he had to be number one, no question about it. If he's not your number one shooting guard, then you're probably one of those Lakers fans who just thinks Kobe is the best player of all time and cannot be swayed by any logic whatsoever. 
Yeah, like his six rings, both of them are all six of them being parts of two separate three peats, uh, with his ten time uh scoring championship. That's seven years in a row. Then he retires to play baseball, and then in his second year back, three more years in a row. Also, yeah, so the 30 points per game for his career, he upped that to 33 and a half for the playoffs, just to give us all a treat. Um, led the league in steals three times. Like, to me, the big separator here, well, there are a lot of big separators here, but my biggest one, like, as it, when it comes down to, like, debates about who's better, Jordan or blank or, you know, whatever. It is the the nine-time all-defensive first team. Because there have been plenty of great two-way players. And we'll talk about some in this segment. But nine-time all-defensive team. Nine years in your career, you're voted as one of the best defenders in basketball. One of the top, like, two guard, uh, best defensive guards in the game. And you're the best offensive player. Yeah, so you're the best on both halves of the court. <laughs> yeah, like, how how else do you say you're the best than that? Um, And really, like, could get it done at, at all levels, whether that was driving, shooting. Like, really, the, the one, like, kick against him is he's not the best three-point shooter, but he was good enough at it. Uh, can take you to the post could make plays for others if he ever needed to and how often was it they really needed to honestly but <laughs> whatever yeah but i i think the point is he was good even if he wasn't like elite he was good at everything and he was elite in almost every area and i know when we went through the like the centers we talked about bill russell and his championships and wilt chamberlain and his statistics i think because of the competitive nature of the nineties um, in the NBA and just how the game had evolved since those days of Wilt and, and Bill Russell, the fact that he was able to dominate at such a, and play at such a high level versus such a high level of opposition separates him from those guys. Um, even though he, you know, doesn't have nearly as many rings as, as Russell or, his stats still pale in comparison a bit to to Wilt or, or someone like that. Um, you just have to give Jordan a lot of credit. And, you know, he he set the standard for pretty much all of the the guys who are playing basketball today and, and changed the sport forever. So, yeah, he's he's got to be number one for both of us. Not to mention, there are a lot of guys out there, not proportionate to, like, the U.S. population, but, like, if we're looking at the league – there are a lot of guys out there that are like 6'6", you know, give or take an inch. Uh, with Bill and Will, it was like, oh yeah, it must be nice to dominate all these like part-time basketball players when you're 7'1", you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Jordan, we're looking at a guy that's like average height for a basketball player, you know, maybe an inch taller, I guess. But like, you know, based, when you look at him, it's run of the mill, right? Um and then he just dominates everybody. 
Um, so I think that's another level too. Like you don't just look at him and point to like, oh yeah, it's because you're this tall or you know, whatever. It's no, it's in fact because you're just that much of a baller. Now, at number two, it's Kobe. Uh, again, this doesn't this didn't really elicit any sort of suspense, but let me talk about my man's here. Also, R.I.P. I have some thoughts that I want to put out there, and I'll let you get into more of the empirical data for Kobe. One of the things I want to say about him is he'd be the GOAT were it not for Jordan. And by that I mean, like, that's not me saying that he's number two necessarily, but that if we kept everything else the same but erased Jordan from memory, it's Kobe, right? Jordan is just Kobe, but better, right? Um, How much closer can you be to Jordan without, like, cloning him? Um, Same build, same skill set, same, like, progression in terms of, like, you went from a a raw athlete to someone who developed more of that jumper and then to someone that, like, developed more of the playmaking and the post-scoring, the unblockable turnaround, the work ethic, the competitive fire, you know, all of this. The clutch gene. Uh, Kobe is one of the most clutch players ever. He's probably the best difficult shot maker in history. I think he's better at that than Jordan. Uh, if we're talking about shooting out of a double team, I'd rather have Kobe. Uh, at every level, it's like, if it if I didn't have this shadow of Jordan looming over him, I wouldn't know what to compare him against. It's just, it's unfortunate for him. And, and I think when it comes down to like the GOAT debate, we get into the whole Jordan versus uh lebron instead of kobe versus jordan because we can like jordan and lebron are different enough that it's like oh well uh lebron has this where jordan has this with kobe it was like oh yeah he's just jordan but not quite there he's like the jordan b or whatever um the other thing i want to say is if you break down Kobe into two careers, one where he's number eight and one where he's number 24, not only does he have two Hall of Fame careers right there in front of you, I would argue, and this might be a hot take, I would argue that one of those Kobe's would be the number two shooting guard in history and the other would be number three. And I'm just being nice to my number five by including him instead of having Kobe as both two and three. But because he is the same entity, I will put him as just number two. Yeah. I mean, how many kids who barely even knew anything about basketball were balling up, you know, their pieces of paper and yelling Kobe as they took a little a jump shot trying to make it into the trash can? Like he was arguably just as much of a household name as Jordan was. Um, and there, I mean, you, you said talk about the empirical data and I, and I, I will, but I, I will say when Kobe died that it was one of those things where like TMZ reported it and it was like, like, I didn't believe it at first. I was like, nah, that's just one of those things that like, they just, 
do to stir up fake news and like try to get people talking or whatever like this kind of thing happens a decent amount of the time where like a celebrity is apparently like you know has died but didn't actually it comes out later and then nope it was real and it was just like hard to believe because i think kobe had so much more that he could have given to the world than he had already given um you know part of that is he had you know he won the academy award for best animated short film in 2018 for dear basketball um he was doing a lot of investing he was doing some of um like some breakdowns for espn plus on different players games and things and I, i think that he just had so much more left to give um and so it was just a real tragedy honestly that he and those other um victims died in that crash it was just very very sad um and like you said r.i.p to him and his daughter was just horrible to um to think about um in terms of basketball though i mean there are so many different different stats that define him i mean he was the first guard in nba history to play 20 seasons that just speaks to that work ethic and that longevity that that you talked about um his 18 all-star appearances are second most all-time and he has the most consecutive appearances as a starter. When he scored 81 in 2006, second highest scoring game in, in NBA history. And like you said, this isn't against part-time players like Wilt. This is uh, against a full-fledged competitive NBA um, and one poor Jalen Rose. <laughs> uh, sorry. sorry. Um, but yeah, Kobe, I mean, like you said, he had that such a will and such a desire to win five-time NBA champion. Um, surprisingly only won MVP one time, which again, some of that can be attested to, to Jordan, but like surely you would have thought he would have won more than once. Um, 18 time all-star, like I said, um, also very good defensively nine time, all defensive first team, just like Jordan. Um, he won the slam dunk contest champion right when he came into the league. Um, and like you said, kind of turned from that raw athlete to more of that, um, you know, guy who won with skill, especially as he aged and um, some of that athleticism started to wane a little bit. I don't think that we will ever, you know, I said, I don't know if we'll ever see a player like Jordan again. I don't think we will ever see a send-off game that compares even remotely to Kobe's send-off game. I remember watching that and I'll, I'll, I'll admit like I've never, I was never like as big of a Kobe fanboy as a lot of people were. Um, but I remember watching that game live and just being in absolute awe of this guy. Like it was so obvious that his knees hurt like crazy. He did not have nearly as much mobility. Um, but you could just tell, he was locked in and he was going to make his mark on Staples center. He was going to make his mark for all the Lakers fans um, and on the game of basketball. And it was just one of those things that like, I'm still getting chills just talking about it because it was one of those things to witness where like, it was inevitable. Like Kobe was going to leave his mark and win that game. And 
like that being his like define you know the way that he left the game is just a microcosm of how he played and the player that he was so um really one of the the game's greats um and will forever be known as such um and i thought it was really cool that they named the all-star game mvp award after him too um him winning it four times tied with bob pettit for the most ever um and now you know he'll his name will live on with that and then of course with so many other things in so many other ways so like i said r.i.p to kobe um and yeah what, what a special player he was special player fierce competitor like will we ever see more competitive players in the nba than jordan and kobe probably not i mean the mamba mentality is a thing for good reason yeah um i feel like every year there are a few uh well i guess more than a few but like there are those celebrity deaths that are like you know based on how much that celebrity influenced you like through their media or whatever you know some hit harder than others you know i can say that i've never been as affected by a celebrity death as i was with kobe um and it's because of exactly what you said there was like first of all he's he'd been an icon in the sport i love my entire life and second of all, he had so much more to do. Um, and you could see it like in all of the, the players that played that day or the next day um, because he was still a mentor for all of these like young players too. Um, so yeah, very, very sad. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough to think about, but yeah, there was no doubt that it was going to be Jordan 1, Kobe 2. So now we get into the uh, little more of the unknown territory here. So, Dave, do you, want to, do you want to kick us off into this uncharted territory at number three? Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> going from one Lakers legend to another... I've got Jerry West here at number three. Now, some people will say... Well, Jerry West is a point guard. He shouldn't be on this list at all. And what I will say is there really w was not much of a designation between point guard and shooting guard when Jerry West was playing. You played guard, you played forward, you played center. Like there weren't, it wasn't as categorical as it is today. And being the fact that he was like 6'3", um, and, you know, I mean, for his career, he averaged like 6.7 assists. He was a primary ball handler at times, but like I just decided to put him in at shooting guard because I just viewed him a little bit more as that. And also there are just way more <laughs> uh, point guards to choose from. <laughs> so I was like, ah, I'm going to put Jerry West in with the shooting guards. Um, and I don't feel bad about that at all. And if I can say one thing on that one. I also include Jerry West as a shooting guard. And for me, like, yeah, when it, when we get down to these, the players that played in the 60s, 70s, before it really, before they really specified point guard, shooting guard, I look at like, what was your primary role on the team? And for Jerry West, that was scoring. Whereas if you take Bob Cousy, who was also listed as guard, well, his job was like facilitating the offense, distributing. Um, 
so that's sort of how I'll make that designation as well. Before you add us on social, like, uh, that's, that's where I stand there. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's a good clarification. So yeah, Jerry West, um, comes in at number three for his career average 27 points per game, six boards, 6.7 assists. Um, and won one NBA championship in 1972 towards the end of his career, 14 time all-star, um, four time NBA all defensive first team, actually a member of the first few, um, NBA all defensive teams when they were, which were introduced when he was 32. So if let's just say that the, you know, that award or that like recognition was around for his entire career, he would have more than four, 100%. Um, he was definitely a very solid two way player. Um, won one NBA scoring championship in 1970. And, um, interesting, like note that I don't know if we'll ever see again either to be fair is he's the only player in NBA history to be named finals MVP despite being on the losing team which happened in 1969 um that's not the like the most interesting fun fact though for me and you know me I like the fun facts my like when I heard about this when I was, you know, getting into basketball, when I heard that like they made Jerry West, the silhouette of the, lo of the NBA logo, I was like, well, he must've been pretty good then. <laughs> and yes, he was. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're the logo for the NBA, you gotta be doing something right. Um, so yeah, so Jerry West comes in at number three and that's not even to mention his career as a coach and as an executive after the fact where he's won NBA executive of the year twice and has eight NBA championships as an executive. So just overall, his impact on the game of basketball is um, right up there at the top. But even with like just looking at as a basketball player, I think he deserves number three. Jerry West as an executive top tier jerry west as a player to me not quite as high as you have him although i do have him as an elite guard in nba history will you make my top five the mystery lives on but he's not my number three okay my number three is number three Dwayne wade um this is uh I've talked about this on all of our episodes where we've done these, but I have three things that I look for when we do these top fives. There's your individual success slash accolades. There's your um, contribution to team success. And then there's the eye test. And if I'm looking at Wade versus Jerry West, at, and the, I'm looking at the eye test, there's a not a whole lot of competition there for me uh and here's my uh i'm just gonna go ahead and address this now my problem with jerry west it's his finals record uh one and eight in the finals that ain't gonna cut it uh and 
this isn't someone that was by himself his whole career. Uh, you got to the final seven times with Elgin Baylor. I'm not saying winning a championship is the easiest thing in the world, but it's tough when you look back at it and go, wow, you had some stellar teammates. And, you know, we were talking about competition earlier as it applied to Jordan and Kobe, and we compared it against this time frame where there was less competition. And so when I look at the reality of his situation, nine finals appearances with one win, that's tough for me to overlook. Whereas we had Dwayne Wade in his third year in the NBA lead the Heat to a championship uh, with 33-year-old Shaq, and he made veteran Shaq look like the very, very clear Robin to his to his own Batman. Um, 2006 Dwayne Wade is one of the better finals performances ever. So let's get that clear. This is a 20... He's a 22 points per game, about five rebounds, five and a half assists uh, for his career. These numbers are dragged down a bit by how uh, how much longer he played than he maybe needed to. Uh, think about him on the Cavs, for example. Um, but also, like he has three time or he was three time All Defensive Second Team, but I don't think that fully captures how good his defense was. It's just that it was never like top of the league, but it was always good. Uh, Behind Jordan, he's at the top of the list for blocks by a shooting guard for what that's worth. Uh, Led the league in scoring uh, once with 30.2 points a game. And, you know, 13-time All-Star, 8-time All-NBA. But let me just say this. uh, Three-time champion, Dwayne Wade is the reason, now that we're not on the small forwards, I can be a little shadier about LeBron. Um, Dwayne Wade is the reason that LeBron felt safe running away to Miami, because they already had an established baller there uh, who'd won a championship uh, as the guy. Uh, LeBron knew that he could go to Miami because Wade was there. Um, And I think that speaks to the the power that Dwayne Wade was slash had. Now, with Wade, I'll admit that this is way more based on prime than it is entire career body of work. But for me, that, the eye test, it all it comes together for me to put Wade at number three. Yeah, I mean, there were only ever two options, I think, for me at number three, and it was West or Wade. Um, obviously, I went West. I will, like, yes, his finals record sucks. It's it wasn't always his fault though. Um, here's a stat for you: only Michael Jordan has a higher career scoring average in the playoffs than Jerry West. Not to mention he has he had the the Finals MVP where his team lost. I don't think it was necessarily all because of because he was choking. It was just the fact that like he couldn't pull them over the line. Which like to be fair, that is definitely um, a negative in in comparing him to a lot of these other players, but I don't think it was all necessarily his fault. Now, Dwayne Wade is my number four. So, um, yeah, you already mentioned a lot about him. I think kind of what put West over Wade for me is that those two championships that he won with LeBron are like, yes, he won them, but like, come on, that's, (laughs) that's basically just like cheating at that point. Um, 
but you're right. He did have that 2006 season where he won finals MVP and, and led the heat to that championship. Um, I think, like you said, he, his peak, um, peak Wade was something to behold. I think his stash just didn't quite live up to, to West stats overall as well. I mean, well, let's like, I don't want to be mis- misunderstood and say like, I don't think Wade was a good player or anything. Like he's number four on my list of shooting guards. Um, I just think that, uh, he couldn't keep it going for as long of a period as I, um, would have potentially wanted when I was looking at this. Um, now what I will say 22 points, um, almost five rebounds, almost five and a half assists a game. Um, and I will say he had like some of the more sneaky athleticism that I've seen out of an NBA player. Like he would just, he would like throw down a, a, a dunk or, um, like, like you said, like a really good shot blocker from the guard position, like, but it would always surprise me. Like I wasn't expecting him to do that. And all of a sudden it would just kind of come out of nowhere and be like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> look what he just did. Um, so th- that was always impressive um, to watch for me. I will say I do have one really big gripe with Dwayne Wade. Um, why is the Y before the A? That doesn't make any freaking sense. <laughs> that always pissed me off. Not not to mention whenever you type in Dwayne Wade's name, it always tries to autocorrect it to like the way that like it should be spelled. But obviously that's not his fault. That's just I just had to get that off my chest real quick. Um but yeah, I mean I think there's not too much else that I want to say about him. Um obviously a very, very good player. His um that the tail end of his career wasn't the best. Um, I really, when he went to the Bulls, I was like, eh, I don't know about that decision. Um, and it just didn't really go super well for him after that. But like you said, his peak was, um, was very good. Um, was a decent defensive player to go along with his scoring and decent secondary playmaker as well. So yeah, I'll, I'll give it to him at number four. All right. And before I forget. I just want to address one more thing. The Jerry West finals MVP in a loss. It is deserved that he got that finals MVP despite losing because he was such a baller. He should not be the only one in history uh, for that. Like, since I shaded LeBron, I should uh, give a little back and say in 2015, LeBron should have been the finals MVP. The fact that they gave it to Andre Iguodala for quote-unquote holding lebron to like 36 14 and 10 or whatever whatever the heck it was like that is that's disrespectful uh agreed so let's just get that out of the way uh at number four so remember how we were talking about how like oh some call jerry west a point guard and some call him a shooting guard some call alan iverson a point guard uh, I'm classifying him as a shooting guard for the same reason that I uh, laid out for Jerry West. If you think Allen Iverson's primary role on any team he was ever on was to distribute and play make, you're tripping. 
Like, come on. Well, it it was to play make for himself. To make plays for himself. <laughs> She's like He's like, I'm gonna dribble if it means I can get open. Um Okay. I I remember this is just funny now. Like one of our early hot seats on this podcast was Max Kellerman for saying like it was something like if Allen Iverson were six six he would have been Jordan or you remember that? It was something like that. And we were like, why are you getting into this weird hypothetical? Well, mm-hmm. now let's come full circle to now, um, where I'm gonna say it is crazy how much of a baller Allen Iverson was given that he was like six foot. Um, and I'm not here to say, you know, what he would have been or whatever, but like, honestly, it's wild. Um, we're talking about a career 27 points, six assists, three and a half boards, almost two and a half steals, um, for his career. Um, he averaged over 30 points a game three times, um, 2001, 2002, and 2005. Um, in addition to those three times where he led the league in scoring, he did it again uh, in, well, I guess first, in 1999 when he averaged just under 27. Led the league in steals three uh, three years in a row uh, to start the 21st century. MVP in 2001. Uh, dragged his team kicking and screaming to the finals in 2001. Uh, that that 2001 Allen Iverson season is like top tier. And Allen Iverson's best teammate on that 76ers team that he took to the finals was Dikembe Mutombo, who was like 34 years old at that point. Uh, and then it was like Eric Snow. Uh, <laughs> Needless to say, they were outmatched by the Kobe Shaq Lakers. Um, and still, Allen Iverson stole a game from them. <laughs> like, pretty much everyone was uh, expecting that to be a sweep. And Allen Iverson turns it into almost a series, I guess? <laughs> I guess if you're not getting swept by that team and you're the Sixers, that's impressive <laughs> enough. Um, his stat line in those finals... 35 and a half points a game, five and a half boards, again, at six foot, uh, four assists a game, just under two steals. And I guess when I'm comparing him to Jerry West, um, in addition to the eye test, because Allen Iverson's eye test, his highlights are insane. Um, it's almost like, I mean, I'm not going to repeat myself too much, but like what I was saying about how do you only win the finals one out of nine times with the teammates you had, it's almost like underachieving versus overachieving in that regard. Um, I look at the teammates Jerry had and how he didn't win those finals versus the best teams that Allen Iverson was ever a part of. And it's like, when would I ever expect you to? Um, that's sort of my angle with that in a nutshell. Um, but that's why I have Allen Iverson at four for me. Well, to be fair, when Iverson went to the Nuggets, it was him and Carmelo who were the top two scorers in the league at that time, or at least by points per game wise. So like 
you could argue that like they probably should have done better than they actually did. But yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a fair point. Um, before I before I get to my number five, I want you to say your number five because um, I don't want to talk about Allen Iverson too too much yet, um, and leave the people anticipating is he going to be at number five for me or not. Um, so I want to hear what your number five is. And if it is Jerry West or if it's someone else. Oh yeah, sure. It's Jerry West. Um, you've you've already talked him up. Um, so yeah, I, I don't even think I really had much more to say about him that you didn't say the other, the only thing I'd really harp on was what you allude to. He had four all defensive first teams. And those were basically like from when they started in 68 to the end of his career. Um, He would have been on that almost every year, if not every year of his career. He also, the, uh, the NBA also started tracking steals and blocks in 73, which was the last season of his career. And that season he averaged like 2.2 steals a game. So who knows where he'd be on that list as well. But there you go, Jerry West at five. Mm-hmm. So basically, the fact that Allen Iverson looked way better, even though statistically, number of championships, all of that, he probably wasn't as good as Jerry West was. Oh, and I guess the other thing was Jerry West also never won MVP. Yeah, that's true. Um what do you what would you value more? I'm just curious. Would you value a championship more or an MVP more? If you could only have one and not the other. Do you mean like if I'm considering these kind these players for this kind of thing? Yes. Or, okay. Um probably MVP. Uh be, because these are individual top fives that says more to the like individual success and talent than it does what team you were on. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's fair. Okay. My number five, it's between two players. It's between Allen Iverson and James Harden. Now I think it's kind of easy to forget how long, at least for me, how long James Harden has been in the league. He's been in the league a long time. I think 12 or 13 seasons now. Um, And he's 33. So he, and I mean, this season he's been playing extremely well at a a very high level. Once again, Um, it's very, very difficult for me to choose between these two. In fact, I'll be honest. I still haven't chosen between these two and I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk through it. I'm going to decide right now who's who it's going to be. So here's my issue. Allen Iverson is one of the least efficient players in NBA history that of, of that's like considered a superstar or is considered a like Hall of Fame type player. Now some people could say, well that's because he didn't play with, you know, a, a lot of other great players. And so it was all on him to, to score um, and, and be the offensive threat for them. However, I will also say that the majority of the teams in that era were built that way. 
were built in the Jordan mold where you had your your one big offensive star and you tried to put a bunch of like defense first players around him and like give your the big contract and and the ball to your one like star offensive player. The fact that Allen Iverson was limited by the fact that he was six foot, like on one hand, yes, it is impressive that he managed to um, reach the heights that he did being that height. On the other hand, we shouldn't like hold that against other players just because they happen to have been born and grew to, you know, six, six or six, four or whatever the case might be. Um, I don't think that we can just say like, well, because he was shorter than them, he's therefore better because he, um, you know, because he had to do it while being shorter. Like, I don't think that that's a fair argument. Um, when you look at Harden and when you look at Iverson, I think when you look at their peaks, you were talking about Iverson in 2001. Harden had 2018, uh, where he averaged over 30 points a game, was by far the, you know, the best offensive player in the NBA. Didn't quite take his team to the finals, but that's because he lost to the Warriors who ended up winning the whole thing um, with that, you know, that dynasty and that team. Like, you can't really blame him for not being able to to pull through and, and beat them. Um, so I kind of view that as a wash. They both won MVP um, that season. They both only have that one MVP award. When you look at their statistics side by side, it's fairly similar. Um, right now, for his career, Harden's at 25 points a game, five and a half boards, seven assists. Iverson's at 27 points per game, four rebounds-ish, six assists. So, like, it's pretty close. Iverson has a little bit more in the scoring category, fewer assists, fewer rebounds. Like, it's pretty much a wash there. Um, Harden did have that sixth man of the year award, which is one of those really interesting ones when you're getting into these discussions like Harden didn't actually start for a decent portion of his career. Iverson started almost every single game of his career. And when he wasn't going to start because he was recovering from injury or he was going to be a bench player, he just complained and didn't want to play anymore. Um, whereas Harden had to kind of work his way up and earn his spot when he got traded to the Rockets, all of a sudden he blossomed into this offensive superstar. But like, to be fair, we talk about the eye test. Allen Iverson is like um, a Corvette and James Harden is like a Camry or something because all Harden was doing, especially at that point is getting his points at the free throw line or doing his like step back. That looks like it's supposed to be a travel, but is somehow still within the rules. Um, And it's just like his own weird way of playing basketball that like, so a lot of people didn't like, but it was very effective. And I will say it was definitely a lot more efficient than the way Allen Iverson was playing basketball. And to be fair, these are, even though it's not that far apart in terms of uh, the amount of years, the the way the basketball was played then versus when Harden was playing like in that 2018 season, it was very different. Like, in a, like inefficient scoring was just kind of expected back when Iverson was playing. Like you were expected to like take contested mid-range jumpers and like and three-pointers weren't as big a part of the game um whereas Harden like you're supposed to be more efficient like getting to the free throw line like shooting a lot more from behind the arc um 
So it's kind of hard to say. Um, Iverson has him on the def- on the defensive end, and that's why I'm kind of leaning more towards Iverson. But at the same time, like if I'm looking at these two players and I'm like looking at their whole body of work, I would say, okay, I'm going to give Iverson number five, but I can almost guarantee you that Harden will surpass him by the time his career is over. I mean, he's 33 right now. He's still playing at a high level. I imagine he still has another couple of years left in him. I think the, you know, depending on what happens in the playoffs and stuff, like maybe the Sixers go on a run and um, win it all this year. Who knows? But I think it'll probably, the statistics that he'll accumulate and everything will probably make him surpass Iverson in my eyes. Um, But it's just really, really close for me. I mean, I also don't really like either of them as basketball players either. Like um, they're just not my favorites. So it's, it's, pretty difficult and I don't have like a tiebreaker for that either yeah I can uh I can definitely understand the predicament the pickle here um I uh hmm. thing with James Harden is like yeah I don't like him either and I think why I don't like him goes beyond personality. It's just like, he's not fun to watch for me. Um, I guess to sort of talk this out as well, it's like without, I mean, I like your comparison there of Allen Iverson to a, a Corvette Harden to a Camry. It's like, I want to watch Allen Iverson highlights. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've searched that on YouTube in my life. And I've never once searched it for Harden because I don't want to watch someone walk around and it somehow be legal. Like as I'm watching someone play, I don't want to be going, huh? How is that in the rule book? Like, Oh, how is it that he's able to do this? Oh, that's a foul. Oh, that's not a trap. Like, I don't want to be saying that every time. I also don't want to be watching someone watch someone run past him. I mean, his defense has gotten better, but he's a defensive meme for like half of his career. Like, I don't know. Like at, it's like when I look at him on paper, the stats are crazy. And then when I watch him on film, it's like, Oh, this is gross. Like for me, that was a big part of it. Like, Corvette's better than a Camry, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's like, but you could argue that like they get, you have the same result um, of like getting, like it gets you to where you need to go. It just may not be as flashy. What I will say about Harden is like, they changed those rules because of him. <laughs> like, because I mean, in my mind, sure. It may not be like sexy to watch, but like, if there's these rules in the rule book and you can take advantage of them, then why not do that unless they do something about it? Um, and he forced them to do that. What I'll say about Harden now is like this man's averaging over 20 points and over 11 assists per game for the Sixers. Like it's not like his, his one 
skill offensively is getting to the free throw line and like drawing fouls. Like he is a very, very skilled distributor and has turned more into a point guard ish um, as he's gotten older, especially like on the Sixers with his new like role that he has there. Um, let's just not even talk about the Nets situation, but like, I will say, I, I don't think he gets enough credit. Um, I don't, again, I don't like him. I don't think that he's like, he's never going to be somebody who I want to watch either, but I don't think he gets enough credit for, um, being as good of a distributor as he is. And like, he's, I mean, he was obviously a better rebounder than AI too. Again, that's like AI was six foot and he salvaged almost four boards. It's not bad, but still I can't compare to Harden in that category too. So it's just kind of, it's just kind of tough for me. Um, like I said, I'll give it to, to Allen Iverson, but I think Harden is kind of underrated, especially when you're comparing him to some like guys whose legacies and influence has that kind of like nostalgic tone to it. And, and kind of like a, um, I don't know. It's almost like his reputation is better than it actual like his actual stats and his actual capabilities were um versus Harden it's like the opposite like he's actually like his stats and everything are actually way better it's just you don't really want to to watch it or or anything like that yeah i think that's i think that's fair um i think with uh Harden being someone that we're still watching like it's easier to say about him or for whatever reason, like haven't made or haven't won the finals. Whereas, you know, Iverson were like, we saw him in the finals at least trying. So it's like, eh. I'm not saying it's fair, but like he does seem to get that pass. But all right. So just to recap on the top five for me, I had Jordan at one, Kobe at two, Wade at three, AI at four, and Jerry West at five. And I had Jordan at one, Kobe at two, Jerry West three, Dwayne Wade four, Allen Iverson five. So before we close this episode out, we do still have the hot seat and the fun fact. So when we come back, we'll get into those and then we'll close out the show. So stick around. And we're back and it's time to get into the hot seat for this episode. Now, in case you haven't been paying attention out West in the NBA, We've got a uh, a rivalry brewing between the Warriors and the Grizzlies. And first of all, I guess it's like a week or so ago when they were talking to John Morant and they said like, oh, who are you worried about uh, getting in your way of an NBA championship this year? And he was like, Celtics. And they were like, nobody in the West. And he was like, nah, we're good in the West. Which, first of all, John Morant hot seat. Uh, that's pretty bold for someone that hasn't been to the finals or the conference finals. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. But anyway, this culminated in the Warriors Grizzlies game, which the Grizzlies lost, mind you. Uh, and Clay Thompson hit a, a shot in the fourth quarter, about three and a half minutes left. They're up by like 20 or whatever. And he does this like really weird like taunting uh he gets called for taunting dylan brooks who had fallen down and he's like 
doing this like squat jumping thing as he's getting back on defense. The whole thing was very strange. Um, anyway, so there was that. And then after the game, Clay Thompson is like, yeah, uh, people are talking about dynasties and they haven't, or you can't talk about dynasties if you haven't won one or something like that. So I guess to reuse the old meme or whatever, he took that personally. So hot seat, we've got jaw, we've got clay, we've got clay's weird dance. And Dylan Brooks's response where, where he basically just blamed the referees for sending the wrong guys to the free throw line. Um, he says the refs let it happen. They were doing it all game and then they want to catch the bad guy. That's whack to me. It was a circus. So like this man's not even owning up to the fact that they lost. He's like, we're talking about Clay Thompson at all. He's like, nah, the refs like, bro, come on, get out of here. Just this all around was just like, yep, this screams hot seat. Like everything about this. If I were Dylan Brooks, I would be in such a hurry to say like, you know, whenever the next time is that the Warriors and Grizzlies play, like let's say it's March 12th, I don't know. I would be in such a hurry to be like, oh yeah, we'll see them March 12th. You know, we'll, you know, we'll give you something to dance about, you know, what, whatever. I would say something like that. Like they got us this time. We're coming for revenge because it's a rap, blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. going to the ref car, that's such a cheap, move or it's i go it's weak yeah yeah it's very weak not not to mention the warriors didn't even have steph (laughs) or andrew wiggins playing in this game and they still lost like and they still beat the grizzlies like yeah that's it's just not a good look for them to be honest dylan brooks really loves to talk and he's not even like that good of a player (laughs) honestly like he's fine but yeah not not great yeah, not great. This easiest transition of my life, but what is great <laughs> consistently is Dave's fun fact. So let's get right on into that. Speaking of salty, let's get into my fun fact. So if you've ever seen uh, like table salt or whatever, you'll you'll see that it says iodized salt on it, not just like salt. Well, why is that? Well, fun fact. Back in 1924, the Michigan State Medical Society launched a public health program where iodine was added to table salt. That practice has continued ever since because apparently um, thyroid problems and mental deficiencies can be caused by a lack of iodine. So they were like, hmm, what does everybody eat a lot of? salt so let's just safely add iodine to the salt to like help save people from like these issues that we're seeing and that's why your salt has iodine in it i also was this was not the plan for the fun fact but i was put some salt on my eggs this morning and i just happened to see the back of the salt container and it said it on the back and i was like that is so random, but like that's just going to be the fun fact for the ep- for this episode today. So here we are. I think it's funny how like with 
like 98% of our episode, right? Or in 95%. It's like meticulously planned out. Like we have ideas for what we're going to do for podcasts from now. We know weeks, like the week in advance, like th- these are our segments. These are what we're going to talk about. Oh, let's do this and that and blah, blah, blah. And then you come on and you're like, oh yeah, for the fun fact, by the way, this morning I was looking at the salt I was putting on my eggs and I was like, yep, that'll do it. <laughs> to be clear, I'm not, I'm not speaking to the quality of the fun fact, but just the, uh, how relatively sporadic it is. Yeah, for sure. Um, to be fair, I have like a vault of fun facts that I can choose from. Um, I also prepare those. So that's why I was like, oh, I'll just randomly do this one um, instead of pulling from <laughs> my like reserve that I have created of fun facts. Um, but yeah, that's it. So that if you've ever wondered what is the difference of iodized salt versus like sea salt or whatever, it's just so you don't have as many mental deficiencies, apparently. So salt, basically what I'm trying to say is salt's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Words that are probably music to Mike's ears. There you go, Dylan Brooks. Eat up. <laughs> Eat your heart out. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> and on that note, it's probably time to wrap this podcast up. Thank you all for sticking with us. This is a bit of a longer episode, um, but we've had a good time recording. Um, Make sure to let us know your predictions for the college football playoff, as well as if you had a different player, maybe James Harden in your top five shooting guards of all time. Um, You can let us know by either leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on um, and write it in there. Or you can let us know on uh, socials at Mike and Dave Pod, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram uh, as well. So we'll be looking forward to that. And again, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it and hope that you had uh, a really good holiday and um, looking forward to 2023. We will catch you guys on the next episode, episode 46 on January 13th, where we'll recap the college football playoffs slash championship hopefully with a good mood mike and not a bad mood mike go blue and this has been for now good mood mike this has been dave and you've been listening to the mike and dave podcast